great future. We're talking real money. The beginning of the show took a different direction than I thought it was going to take. Hi, everybody. I'm Don. Welcome to Talking Real Money. And I was reading an article. I think it was at Money Magazine, but not really the magazine because I read everything online. And it was about, there were a couple of articles. One was about how miserable people are with low interest rates right now. And yes, rates are low. Inflation is low. Now, inflation may come back someday, but if it does, then rates will start to go up again. So you'll have your higher rates, but they tie together. You're not going to get safety and high interest rates. And I, I know that's what you want, but I'm just telling you, you can't have it. Sorry. And the other article I read was about high yield bond funds and how people have been flocking to them in search of higher yields. Higher income. Well, that's a dumb idea. Do you know what's in high-yield bond funds? Yeah, they call them junk bonds for a really good reason. Because they're risky. And, and here's the thing about them. Their risk is generally in line with the risks of buying a diversified portfolio of stocks and yet the historic returns of junk bond funds have been lower than the historic returns of a diversified equity portfolio. So it's a dumb idea because you can get yield other ways. We talked about it on past podcasts. But that's not what I really want to talk about because it's simple. Don't buy junk bond funds. But I noticed something in doing some of my research on junk bond funds just to see where they were today. And I was looking at a couple of them that were recommended by Morningstar, both actively managed. Well, I looked at a couple others, but these two stuck out like sore thumbs. Actually, one like a sore thumb, one like a very healthy thumb. The two I looked at were the Vanguard High Yield Corporate Bond Fund, which is VWEHX, and the PEMCO High Yield C-Shares, which is PDHCX. One you have to buy on your own. The other you buy through a broker. And the reason I use the C-Shares is because using the A-Shares makes it a difficult comparison because the A-Shares have a 5.75% initial commission, whereas the C-Shares roll that commission into a fee called a 12B1 fee. So that's a more fair comparison because the broker's got to get paid some way or another if you're going through a broker. So the C-shares, which I don't like, but I'm going to use it as a comparison. And something interesting occurred to me. The current yield as of today, which is Friday the 21st of August on the Vanguard, well, as of last night, was just over 5%. Just over. The PIMCO had a yield of just under 4%. And you might be thinking, well, maybe that's because it's a safer fund. Maybe it has, a, it has a lower yield because they don't take as much risk. That's what you would think, right? Wrong. You see, the Vanguard fund has an expense ratio of 0.23%. While the PIMCO high yield C has an expense ratio of 1.65%. That is 
dramatically more expensive. And if you add that 3.84 to the 1.65, you get 5.49. So if you subtract Vanguard's 0.23, then it's 5.26. So it's actually a higher yield before expenses than the Vanguard fund. And that's because it's a junkier portfolio. The Vanguard fund, both the Vanguard and the PIMCO funds have 91% of their portfolio in junk bonds, triple B or lower. But at the highest rating in the junk category, Vanguard has 50% in double B and 37% is in double B over at PIMCO. So PIMCO has a riskier portfolio and a higher fee and it's reflected in the in the yield. You see, there's no magic. There's no magic to managing money. The more you pay in fees, the less you're going to make. All other things being equal, and they are in this industry. It's such a massive industry that almost everything else is equal. And if the yields are comparable, even after the higher fee, then that means more risk is being taken. It's a really simple formula. If you want a higher return, you have to get your fees down or you have to take more risk. It's pretty much all there is to it. Fees really do matter. And you know what's interesting about that PIMCO fee? Is that that fee is higher than what you would pay the kind of really good fiduciary advisors that we believe make sense. You're paying more for impersonal management than you would be paying for personal management. Do you have questions? Well, I hope I have answers. You can call your questions in anytime to 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. As a matter of fact, on Saturdays, you can call those questions in and we'll actually have a conversation between the hours of 3 and 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, 855-935-TALK. You can also go to TalkingRealMoney.com, click the contact button, and you can record your question there. Just speak it into your computer or your computer mic, or you can type it up which for some reason seems to be the preferred way of doing things. So let's start with today's first written question. Subject, add a high dividend yield fund to portfolio. Hi, Don and Tom. My traditional uh, IRA at Vanguard is following the Bogleheads three fund portfolio, total U.S. stock index, total international stock index, and total U.S. bond index with a slight tilt to small cap. I was doing some rough calculations, and if I were to take about 30% of the Vanguard total international stock index and put that in a high dividend yielding fund like Vanguard's high dividend yield index, the dividends generated from all of the funds would provide the bulk of the money I would need on an annual basis in retirement and thus minimize the number of shares I would have to sell annually. In your opinion, would this be a good approach or should an investor just focus on the total return of the three fund portfolio? Well, I actually did the math. Of course, I didn't 
factor in the slight tilt to small cap, but I assumed that you were 33, 33, 33 between the international, the U.S., and the total bond. If you took 30% out of the U.S., the total international U.S., and you put that into the high-yield fund, the high-yield dividend fund, the dividend fund, you would change your, your current yield right now, again, tossing out the small cap. We're just assuming your entire portfolio is in the three funds. That those three funds are yielding right now, dividend yield and interest rate yields, about 2.3% per year, according to Morningstar. If you toss that 30% of that one fund into the dividend fund, you would only increase your yield as of today to a little under 2.5%. So you're really not looking at much of a difference. Plus, you should re be rebalancing regularly between those four funds every year. Adding a fifth makes that a little bit more complicated. And you can use, in addition to your dividend and income, you can use some of the proceeds from that rebalancing to add to your income, your spendable income for that year. The other thing you do by changing funds is you reduce your diversification. Because remember, those same dividend funds that you would buy in the those same dividend stocks, I should say, that you will buy in that dividend fund, well, they're already in your total U.S. stock fund. So um, you would be focusing, again, in just some of these big companies that pay dividends, and you would be actually damaging your your diversification. So I, I don't see any reason to do it. I don't think two-tenths of a percent is going to make that big a difference over time. And I think you'll make that up, not by actually needing to sell much over and above what you rebalance, but just using some of the re rebalancing assets. So there you go. There you have it. You want to send in a question? Go to TalkingRealMoney.com. You want to talk with one of our advisors for a little while? Go to TalkingRealMoney.com or go to Vestry.com and set up an appointment. We do that all the time. As a matter of fact, I'm joining in a meeting on Monday with, with somebody who came to us that way who, wanted, who has a more complex portfolio and wants us to look it over. We do that for free, and we never put a, a high-pressure sales pitch on you. So check that out. And let's take another written question. This one is about a home mortgage, and it's nice and short. I am 75. Would it be wise if I tried to get a mortgage on my free and clear house? Probably not. Depends on what you do with the money. Uh, if you needed it, I guess, to live, okay. But if you don't need it, then why mess with it? Unless you're going to be an, a, a relatively aggressive or slightly aggressive investor with that money. At this point, I don't know that I would do that again, unless you want to make more money with the money. But remember that uh, that put, put your house at some risk, not much. 
It does get cash out if you need it, though. Sometimes that's a good way to get cash out if you need the cash. You get it out, you invest it relatively conservatively with a little bit of a balance so you can make a little bit more than you pay on your on your mortgage. On 15-year mortgages, we're in that 2.5% range still. So all you have to do is make 3.5, maybe 4, which can be done with a very conservative, would have in the past been done easily with a very conservative portfolio with just a little bit of stocks and a lot of high-quality bonds. So, But if you don't need the money, nah, I wouldn't mess with it. Again, you can call in questions to 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, or you can do what everybody else does and send them in at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form, or you can record your questions. And if more people don't start recording questions there, I may just not continue that. I thought that would be kind of cool, but we've only had like four people do it. So it's really easy. If you have a mic on your computer, and they almost all do these days, you can just record your question right there. You go to your computer or your iPad or whatever it is and just hit record. Bingo. Just sends it right to me. Let's go to the next one. This one has a subject as follows. Bye-bye to short-term bonds and treasuries. I have followed your advice for over 10 years and maintained a 60-40 equity fixed income portfolio until the Fed action as a result of COVID-19. Although I maintain a 9% interest in tips reluctantly, Treasury in, uh, uh, inflation protected securities, I sold all of my short-term U.S. Treasuries and bonds in favor of returns greater than 0.6%. During May 2020, I sold 30% of my portfolio in favor of three stocks, Dow, Dow Chemical, AES, which is a power company, and SO, which is the southern company, power, utilities. While I understand the risks of owning individual stocks, the idea of purchasing bonds for ballast and all the other arguments made for a risk-balanced portfolio, the Fed action made me pull the trigger on $200,000 worth of purchases, and I won't look back. The yields are great. The capital appreciation on AES has been a pleasant surprise, and I'm using the cash dividends now to purchase more shares in the equity index funds that have underperformed. I thank you for the advice you gave me 10 years ago at your seminar. Still have a well-diversified equity portfolio of Schwab and Vanguard index funds. I felt the time had come to follow my common sense and trade some risk for six to eight times more return than short-term fixed income bonds slash treasuries were providing. Well, if, if it's comfortable, but I would never suggest this to anyone um, unless it was someone who was willing, who truly, it, what you've done now is you've taken your portfolio from one that uh, roughly 60-40 equity fixed income portfolio, that would have had a worst case year of maybe a 25 or 30% decline. And you've now turned it into a portfolio that really, truly does have the risk of a 50% plus decline because it's all equities. And you have created a situation in which you can lose 
if you 30% of your portfolio went into these three stocks, now you have a situation where I don't care how smart you think you are, where you could lose 10% or more of your portfolio like that. And you will never convince me that you are smart enough to know right before a company is going to go bankrupt because there have been a lot of great companies. There have been a lot of great companies. Let's do that again. There have been a lot of great companies in this country that have gone bankrupt, including a number of utilities and giant industrial firms. And the risk you are taking now is the kind of risk we would never suggest anyone take unless they were comfortable with a very high level of volatility and the out-and-out, no-doubt-about-it risk of possibly losing a big portion of the portfolio permanently. We don't think this is a good idea, but if you think your common sense makes more sense than historical data, you go for it. But what this tells me is that you think you're smarter than the market. That's what it tells me. And I can tell you, based on 30 plus years of experience talking to people, you're not. Call me with your questions at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And let's do our last question for today's podcast. Subject, investment allocation, stocks versus bonds, and social security benefits. I'd like your thoughts on this topic. Should I consider my expected social security lifetime benefit as part of my bond asset value and let it affect my portfolio's investment allocation between bonds and equities? Or should I ignore social security and other annuity assets when calculating the investment asset allocations? When calculating the percentage of asset allocations in bonds versus equities, I use Jack Bogle's rule of 100 minus my age. I'm 67, waiting until 70 to take Social Security. At, th at that time, my benefit will be 43000 a year, and I calculated a lifetime value of $860,000, assuming a life expectancy of 90. This value could be even larger if I consider my younger spouse's survivor benefit and include her life expectancy. As you must know, this large value can seriously affect equity allocation considerations in a modest portfolio. Thanks for taking my question. This comes back to the purpose of bonds in a portfolio. Bonds don't just exist to provide income. They are and have been and will be into the future, short intermediate bonds, high quality bonds, ballast, as the previous correspondent said. They're the means by which we help keep people invested by keeping them from panicking in major declines. If, let's say, for argument's sake, you and your wife's Social Security and your, your other annuity assets, income-generating assets, account for uh, all of the money that you would have needed to put into bonds. Well, now, all of your money 
that you're going to be looking at every once in a while, hopefully not too often, but you're going to be looking at it. We have a really terrible market. We have another 2008. And your portfolio declines by half. How do you feel? How do you feel? Think back to March. How do you feel? Might you, when the papers are running headlines, the papers, how quaint of me, the internet is running headlines saying, uh, Great Depression up next, get the heck out of the market, there's no hope, the future's over, it's done. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay invested? Are you going to join the general panic? The problem is, too many people join the panic. That's why it's important to have a portfolio with a comfort level built in. Lower your greed, increase your comfort level. So that you stay invested, so that you go, oh, yeah, I knew a 20% decline could come, and I said I could handle that. Put it in writing, too. By the way, if you put it in writing, it's like a commitment to yourself. But if you have all of your money in equities, not many people can take 100 they can't. They say they can until it happens, and then they can't. So be happy you have those. Maybe you can be a bit more aggressive since you don't need income from those, but make sure it fits your risk tolerance. Go to TalkingRealMoney.com. Take the free risk quiz. Nobody will call you and bug you. It's free. It's really easy. It takes 10 minutes. And find out what you're comfortable with. And then take maybe a little more risk than that. But no, I don't think in your case particularly, you should consider those to be your bonds. No. Thanks for the, the question. Thank you for all your notes and questions. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling every single soul you run into to listen to the show, listen to the podcast. The numbers are moving up, although this week was not as good as last week. Somebody's falling down on the job. So tell everybody you know about Talking Real Money, the podcast, and the radio show that airs on Saturdays. And call us on Saturdays from 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific at 855-935-TALK. And if you've got a really involved financial question or issue or portfolio, and you want somebody who's truly going to look out for your best interest to look at it, Get in touch with one of our advisors. It is free. There is no obligation, and they will not try and sell you stuff. Okay? We don't sell stuff anyway. So go to go to best place. Go to vestory.com, which is the website for our investment advisory firm, V-E-S-T-O-R-Y.com. Go down to the bottom of the page. Plus, there's a lot of good stuff there, too, on fiduciaries and all that kind of stuff. So go there, set up an appointment, or give us a call at the office, and we will take care of you. Um and uh, we look forward to taking care of you. It's what we like to do. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll be back uh, with more podcasts next week. I'm Don McDonald. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. All
also as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?